Good morning. It's good to see you guys. Um, I'm excited to share this morning. I got an interesting topic, a little bit of a, an interesting Bible story um, that is a little bit of a challenge. So we're going to spend some time on a challenging story this morning. Um, I think we're just going to get right into that. Let's get right into that. There's other things to talk about, but we're going to start with that. So I, talk, I titled the sermon, Who's Behind the Curtain? I, I want to remind you guys that, that you are complicated beings. You are, if you are married to somebody, you know this better than anyone else, that people are complicated. Your spouse is very complicated. If you've ever hung out with friends, you know they're complicated. It's not always what's on the surface that's fully going on with them. There's a huge depth to us, us as human beings. God made us that way. You are beautiful, multifaceted. You have all kinds of different motives and all kinds of different, I like to call them engines inside of you that motivate you to make choices, to think certain ways, to do things. And so you might know this well. I'm a complicated creature. Like that's the way I like to think about it. And usually when we say stuff like that or we think like that, it's always, there's kind of a negative bent to it. Like, oh, I wish things were a little more simple. I wish things were a little more clear. But I just want to remind you, you're made really well. You're made really well. And the process of maturing and growing in life is oftentimes refining your understanding of yourself, refining your, your motives towards life, simplifying in a lot of ways, um, usually is the outcome when your things are getting better. But I just, I want to acknowledge you're a complicated woman or a man. And it's not a bad thing. But I'll tell you, when we, we look at stories in the Bible, we look at life in real time, in real action, we look maybe over at what's going on in the Middle East, we look what's going on even in our backyard here in Berkeley, we look at poverty in our cities, we look at extreme amounts of wealth in our cities, there's a huge contrast between the two, we look at homelessness, you go, hey, this is a complicated story, it's a complicated life. I think if we were all honest, if, if we could all slow down for a moment and there was a simple path for everything to, to even out and there was equity across the board and there was collaboration and one for another was a higher priority, I think we'd all honestly say, yes, I am for that. Somehow, in this effort in life with billions of people on earth, we, we get going in such a way, our engines are so fast and so strong that we have the opportunity at times, and opportunity is the, the trick word, to overlook one another and to kind of move right through what might benefit one another, even into extreme scenarios where we disregard one another, we abuse one another, we subject others. We overlook to the point of neglect others, right? It's, it's the human condition. It's not new to our generation. This is a from the beginning problem. It's a problem though, and it's a reality. And um, I'd love to say that there were simple answers. The, the beautiful answer is that there is an eternal promise where Jesus and his kingdom come, and there's redemption and salvation, and he reigns here on earth forever. That's the, where we're going but while we're here, we're challenged with the reality where the kingdom is not yet here, where that good unto one another, love your neighbor as yourself, that trumps all other motives. 
when Jesus is, is saying, what's the most important thing? It's like, love your God with all your heart, prioritize him, and then love one another, just absolutely. If that were simply injected into everyone, it took fully. It's like a vaccine that really worked, and all of a sudden, every motive in you was changed. This world would be different in that moment. A lot of things would change. A lot of things would change. And so it's, it's an interesting problem when we start to see flares of humanity that are so bold and so strong, and they, they shake us, and they should, because we're reminded of the temporal nature of our existence here on earth and the pain with which many people live on a daily basis. And, and we are so fortunate and privileged in our experience to look from a place more often than not of comfort. But I, I will say it's important for your sensitivity to remain when you see things like what we're seeing in the news today. I, I had a friend, we were on our trip to Texas this week, and he happened to ask me, he's like, do you ever talk about current events? And I was like, no, no, I never do. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like that. Because I, it's, it, they're, very, they're very politicizing, right? They, they're very divisive, even amongst Christians. Um, there's so many topics that, that are currently at the front of the news, the front, the front of all of our minds. And that's not just today, it's always this way, that really would divide even the best intentioned of Christians. And then fast forward into this week and you see this, the war breaking out and the, just the extreme violence and the real shaking of a region and it forces you into a conversation with yourself and sometimes others where you say, this is hard and I feel that I have to pick a side and I feel that I have to understand or at least assert my position because it's my responsibility to know. Or at least you feel it's your responsibility to know. And I just want to take a step further back from that conversation and I'll tell you, don't be afraid of those conversations, but I would caution you in those conversations. And that's where I'm going with, our, with this discussion today. I wanna to take a step back further and remind ourselves of those engines that start when we're little, babies. And they grow over time through life and experience, nurture, nature, all these different factors begin to take shape in us and they start to motivate us towards decisions, towards life, and towards people in different ways. And God understands all of that, and he knows all of that at a depth that we will never know. He looks at you and he goes, I know the, the origin of every engine in your life. And it's not just from the time you were born. They actually transcend the individual experience and they go for generations. There's spiritual engines that motivate and move people. And those spiritual engines, they, they last for generation after generation, and they're, they're transferred and they're passed. It's a reality, just like your skin color, just like your beautiful blue, green, or brown, or other eyes. Your hair, your, these are things that are passed on, but there's also spiritual realities that are passed on until they're changed until there's an interception of sorts. And so when we, as Christians, say, Jesus, I'm inviting you into my heart, Jesus says, you are now born again. You're not born of the flesh. You're born of the spirit, and I'm actually changing your inheritance, changing your DNA, changing your makeup in such a way that you can now be in my kingdom of my family, have motives and engines that are other than the natural motives and engines of the earth. That is his 
gift to us. It is our inheritance, but it's also our choice. You say, well, how does that work in practice if I'm born again, wouldn't my life in that moment change? All motives become pure, all motives become true, and I am now of the kingdom. It is a reworking and rewiring and a reprocessing and a reprogramming and all the re-words I can come up with that would, would change your actual practice of life, where you actually re, repurpose your vessel to agree with this new spirit that's inside of you. How many of you know, like, unsaved people, they, they can do wonderfully good things, they have good motives, and they, they have a spirit of generosity. They have a spirit of kindness. And then there's unsaved people that can do terrible, awful things. How many of you know saved Christians that have really wonderful spirits of, of kindness and generosity, and they do wonderful things? How many of you know Christians who have done the opposite? Terrible things, awful things. How many of you know that you qualify probably on both sides of that equation? Before Christ, you had some really good things going on with you. You also had some things at moments where it's like, oh, that was bad. That wasn't, that, that wasn't good. And then on the, on the Christ side of your life, you've said, okay, I've given my heart to him, but I'm still I'm motivated to do good, but I'm still challenged in seasons where I've chosen or done other. We're humans. We're complicated. We're not ugly. We're not broken. We're not, we're not misplaced. We're not out of time. This is what God designed when he puts you here. And so there's a reality to understand my grace that God has given me to redeem me and change me is also available to all of humanity. Where do I see humanity in this moment? Do I see with that same eyes, that same set of eyes, grace, mercy, compassion? Or is there something else that, that changes my lens? And so, if nothing else this morning, as we start and go into this passage, I want to remind you, it's a complicated story. We're, we are in a complicated place, but there is one true and beautiful God who's constantly calling us, I like what Sophia said, higher to a place where we transcend the motives, the, the pressures, the violence, even of this earth. And we sit with Jesus in heavenly places, reigning in the moment that we're alive and also into the future where we're going. And we say we agree that his kingdom shall reign forever and ever. And so while I may not be fully transformed to the degree of perfection, I'm pursuing it from a place of understanding that I'm with him. And my hope is that I can carry that authority, power, love, and generosity into the world while I'm here and give it away to the generations that are after me. And so there's a constant conflict, and some would say a constant war, for your affections, your motives, your, your, your peace, your joy. You're in a place where all of these forces are under different pressure. And so be kind to yourself and also be kind to others. Be slow to speak, slow to act, wise in your patience, wise in your love, wise in your kindness, wise in your care, because it's not just ideas that you're engaging with, they're people, they're people. 
I often think of our position here in Berkeley. And months ago, I, had a, I saw a really vivid picture. And I saw protest and, and really kind of rage coming out of Berkeley, the campus. And not, not, to, not to paint it, just kind of an image. God speaks in images. So you can, I'm a simple guy, so he shows me really contrasting things. He's like, I'm giving you a message. You guys get it? And, and we love Berkeley, and we are Berkeley. Like, this is, it's not that it's bad and good. But he was showing me an image where, like, there was a spirit of rage and protest that was really, really aggressive and violent. And then he showed me our church, and it was bright and light, joyful and hope. And it was right next door. And they stood in contrast at the same moment in the same, con- in the same season. And God was just reminding me it's, it's possible when the world is spinning very fast, and there's issues that, that incite these natural feelings of rage and aggression for there to be a reality of a kingdom where the light and goodness of God overrides the tendency to be pulled into a place of violence and aggression. And it, seasonally, this will happen for the rest of our lives, the rest of our children's lives. There will be a point where it stops, but we won't be likely alive for that. And so we're, we're in this moment where we realize I have to figure out a way to align myself with Jesus so I can carry the kingdom fruit with me wherever I go, carry the kingdom presence with me wherever I go. I can't be swayed by the tides of the times. That is not God's intention, is that, oh, you're, you're living a good, good life. You're getting closer and closer to me, but man, once this event happens, it's all gonna fall apart for you, and you're gonna get thrown into this, this chaos, this war. There's so many beautiful stories in the Bible and in history where people, they aligned themselves with Jesus and they stayed there in peace and joy even to the end of their life in persecution where they stood the test carrying the love, joy, and hope of Jesus even to the point of surrendering their lives to death for the cross. You say, well, these issues are loud and they're big and I, and I, I, I can't help but be drawn to a place of, of acting maybe just outside of the nature of who I, I feel Jesus would be. And I'll just challenge you, that's not his intention for you. His intention for you is to, to find the heart of God, carry the heart of God, and bring the authority of Jesus over yourself, your mind, and then into the environments he's calling you into. And so what should never be compromised? Peace. Joy, hope, fearlessness, I like to use that one, as opposed to fear. And in these seasons, the, the, the end result, the goal of the aggressive nature of the demonic is to, is to find alignment with people who will fulfill its tasks and incite the opposite fruits in everyone that it possibly can worldwide. So it wants you to have fear. It wants you to have panic and worry. It wants you to forget the God who created it all and is bigger than all. It wants you to question all of your ideas and thoughts about the sanctity of life and the beauty of Jesus and his, his hand in the midst of all of it. It's constantly at odds, and it, it happens in these moments. And I just want to remind you, it's serious. It's real. These items, these topics deserve prayer but you are solid and you are on solid ground if you're standing with Jesus. And he is the same yesterday and today, today and forever. And so for you, you're endeavoring to stand with him as one who is the same 
yesterday, today, and forever. The gains you have gained in your clarity and relationship with God do not go away because circumstances change around you. And so hold fast to your trust, hold fast to your faith, and hold fast to your hope. Those don't waver because God doesn't waver. He is, after all, the source of all those things. All right, there's the intro. Nice. You guys ready for part two? All right. I'd like to introduce Saini. She's in the back. I just want to make her uncomfortable. There she is. This is one of my favorite people on the planet. She's, she has been with us raising our five children for so very long. We miss her. She moved to Sacramento. She's wonderful. Hi, Saini. You embarrassed? Good job. All right. All right, let's come back. I want to read you the story of Herod and the beheading of John. This is an interesting one. It's like, you sure you want to talk about this today? Oh, yeah, he said yes. All right, you guys ready? All right, up on top. First thing we're going to talk about is unholy alliance. Subplot with all of this is the engines that motivate people to do things, good and bad. All right, unholy alliance. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John. Herod was like a governor, said that, like over a region. Jewish people, he was kind of in charge, politically in charge of the society at that, that time on some level. Let's keep it simple. Um, so he had sent men, so for Herod himself had sent men who arrested John. John the Baptist is who we're talking about. We all know who that is. They had bound him and put him in prison on account of Herodias. That is a beautiful lady's name. In the, for those of you who are having babies, if you want to consider Herodias, that is a woman. Herod and Herodias, wonderful. I wouldn't call it beautiful, but okay. His brother's Philip's wife. Yes, I'm going to read that one more time. So, Herod had put John in prison, John the Baptist, because of his wife, Herodias, who was also, or previously, the wife of Herod's brother. Got it? That's weird, right? Yes, that's weird. So Herod had married his brother's wife, his brother's Philip. All right, for John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Okay, this is a cool story, all right? This is kind of an interesting drama unfolding here. So you have a political leader. He's got a brother. His brother's got a wife. Don't know much more than at some point, Herod decides that Herodias and he should marry. Okay, it's like some of those drama shows that you guys like to watch or that like recycles all kinds of ridiculous scenarios. Well, this is a real one. This is probably the origin of all of your television dramas you like to meditate on. Uh, meditate on this one next time you're bored. This will be more, more helpful. I want to point out the obvious here. This is, this is an unholy, very strange covenant that Herod got himself into. Herod decided to marry someone who had motive. He may have had motive. She obviously had motive, which we'll get to in a bit. That, that went against the fundamental principles of Judaism. Fundamental principles of the law. So he, in himself, made a choice to disregard the basics in an effort to accomplish something, whether it was personal lust or maybe it was political intrigue, I have no idea. We don't really know. We just know that he married his brother's wife 
And John the Baptist, who was sent to pave the way for Jesus and becomes a type of the law, and he was the, the last prophet before Jesus. Jesus says he was the most important prophet of all the prophets. He was there telling everyone, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's telling all of the Jews, he's like, guys, the kingdom of heaven that God has promised for generations is about to arrive. Get your heart right. Clean things up. Make sure you're abiding by the law. This is who he was. This is what he did. And he didn't care who he was talking to. Even the most powerful political figure in his region, he directed this repentance message at Herod, and he said, you are doing wrong. Herod, nobody likes that. Nobody likes that. But he had taken this covenant with this woman, and he had set a course where he was not really concerned with the law. He was not concerned with God's kingdom. He was managing his own. Are we capable I'm gonna, let me say this. This whole story, I think all of you should just say, like, hopefully there's no, like, practical application to my life. That, that, like, let's, let's, let's leave it at that. I'm going to try to bring some things in here that are like, okay, maybe we shouldn't do this. But, okay, don't marry your brother's wife while you, you guys get that part. Okay, that's not the moral of the story. I'm highlighting that there's, there's engines and motives that people have that would cause them to go way outside of what you would normally say is healthy human behavior. Forget about religious behavior. There, is, there are things that press us to the edge of even being healthy, normal humans and cause us to make decisions if we allow ourselves to align with them. You say, hey, I don't have a bad life. Like, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Like, I behave myself. I don't do the major things. I just want to remind you that any sin that comes at you, its intent is the same intent that, that shows up in its full and dramatic force here in this story. Sin is always there to creep in, cause you to agree with something that would separate you from the purity of the direction of the Lord for your life the purity of his intention, the purity of your inheritance. There is always an angle with sin, corruption, right? Sin is a corruption. And it wants you to get to a place where you agree with it. And it, this is so, the Old Testament's so awesome because simple people like us were like, oh, that's really bad. You shouldn't do that. That's really clear. But then you fast forward into our day and Jesus goes, you know, I know you guys have heard about like murdering people and how that's bad. Everyone's like, yes, we've read the Old Testament. He's like, if you have a bad thought towards people, it's basically the same thing. And so that's the era we live in where he, it's like sin and the violence of the demonic went underground at a certain point. It wasn't so aggressively on the surface, like Cain and Abel, like I'm just gonna kill you if you're on God's side and, and he likes you more. It, get, it gets to where sin is, is deceptive, it's, under, it's an undercurrent in our thought life, it's always angling to get agreement so it can manifest its full intention, intention in your life. And so with Herod, and we see this, it's like, oh, he made a bad choice. He aligned himself with a lifestyle, a process that was obviously counter to God's intention. 
So there's the practical application. Please ask yourselves, what things have I allowed in that just obviously aren't in a line with Jesus? Like if it's Jesus with me, does he make this choice consistently? Is it a lifestyle that he is good with? If it's not, it's, it's the same spirit, it's the same violence that wants to come in. And so Herod is who we're talking about. And I want you to think of yourself as, as just any other human. Herod is just any other human who has the opportunity to do good or to do bad. And we see it here in the next slide. So let's look at the next slide. Double-minded. All right, you guys know James. Double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Okay, let's look at, look at this story a little closer. And Herodias, that, that wife of Herod, had a grudge against John the Baptist. You guys get why she had a grudge? Because he's telling everyone that they're in sin. Like, he was really vocal. John the Baptist spoke outside, on the streets. He was public. People were coming to him. And we find out here, I'm going to keep going, but we find out that Herod came to him and listened to him a lot. I didn't know that. It's pretty interesting. So she, so she had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. Okay, that's aggressive. So we find out that if you name your daughter Herodias, she's going to have some things to overcome. Consider it. There's a little bit of aggression in her that we see here, but she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and so Herod actually protected him against the will of his wife. Ooh, nasty household. All right. When, her, when Herod heard John, some kind of coming back here, when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, so he was challenged, and yet he liked to listen to him. All right. Herod's a, a human. He knows God. He knows who he is. He, he, raised, he was raised up in Jewish culture. He knew the Bible. He recognized in John the Baptist that he was holy, like, oh, that, like, oh, that's probably God talking through this guy. I don't love it. My wife really doesn't love it. There was conflict in him. He was torn. He was a human. But he had gotten himself into a position where, where years of alignment with the spirit that was opposite God's intent allowed him to, to defend John, but at the same time imprison him. You see that there is, there's good in bad people. Have you guys ever been around someone and you're like, they're terrible. They're terrible. But when they're in this context, they're really great people. Like they have different sides to them. My favorite one is like, in business, they're really awful. But at home, they're really wonderful. I'm like, that's just not how humanity works. But that's a mindset, it's a possibility if you allow it to be. And I see Herod in that space where he's double-minded. He has a political motivation. He has a familial motivation. But then there's also this inner conversation he has where he's like, John is, is right. He's right. And he, he's, why would he go back and listen to John? It's like the person who is constantly 
falling in sin, but they, they constantly come because they just know the truth. It's like, I have to, I know the truth, but I can't make the final separation and really shut down that side of my life, but I keep coming because I know it's right. I see Herod as that person. Have we all been there at some point? Maybe not to the point of like wanting to kill somebody, but like we've all been there to that a point, right? So just reminding us, this is a human thing. It's a human process. Herodias is a little scary to me. Let's move on. That's my only point there. All right, sin's motive. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and, his, and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. All right, so who's there? These are all the political powerhouses. These are all the people that, meet, that matter in culture and society at that point. These are the rich. These are the famous. These are the ones who lead and are wealthy and are leading different portions of society. So he invites them to his house for a party. When his daughter... Herodias, okay, this is even more confusing. So Herodias, so Herod, and then his, his new wife's name's Herodias, and her daughter, and their daughter together is also named Herodias. Okay, got it, right? So it's like junior, 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 but, but it's daughter, daughter, daughter. So his daughter Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what should I ask for? She replied, the head of John the baptizer. Immediately, the daughter rushes back to the king and requests, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Oh, okay. This is, this is rough stuff. Um, I want to highlight a couple things here. There's a daughter that has been brought in to the same corruption as a result of being raised in a home that's broken and, and yielded completely to a spirit that's not in line with the Lord. So the father and mother agreed that we're going to walk opposite God's intention. They give birth to something that may even be more powerful to accomplish the work of the enemy. And so it's just the natural order of things that this, de this deception and destruction continues to carry on until an end is brought to it. How do things like wars happen? How do things like gross violence happen? Well, it's the multiplication of, of oftentimes many generations of pain, corruption, dysfunction. This, the aim of sin, and this is what I want to highlight, like as the human kind of connection here for all of us. The aim of sin is to grow. The, the devil's intent is to steal, kill, and destroy. The aim of his corruption in our lives is always to infiltrate, take root, and grow over time. And, and it's not to put you guys in a place of fear or concern. It's to understand the process. It's to understand how these things work, where when given the opportunity, our alliance with things that are contrary to the spirit and intention of God, they take hold and they begin to, to steer and cause you to do things you would really not ever intend to do. Herod did not want to execute John the Baptist. It comes in the next slide. He was torn. He was protecting him. 
And he came to a place where he's with all of his people that he cares so much about that he was forced into a corner because of his own words that came out of his own mouth that I will honor this thing this, that you have done. And, and I, don't know what this, I don't know what this was. I, it, I think in our kind of contemporary American, like, what, oh, she must have been very seductive. I don't know. It's his daughter. So I don't, you don't, none of it makes sense. We weren't there. But there was something about the spirit that she carried that caused him to make a move that was even more egregious if he would have thought through. Giving half your kingdom away? Like, what are you talking about? What, what is going on in this moment? There is obviously a dark force that has pushed its way to this point. There is an aim of the enemy that was after John the Baptist, and it was taking hold of those who were willing to yield to it. And those who were willing to yield to it had a lifestyle, a pattern, not just a moment, but a history of yielding to that spirit. All right, let's look at the last one. This is a fun story. You guys are pumped. I see it. Like, this, is, this, is, this has never been preached on in the history of my experience. I'm like, yeah, this is a great one to talk about. Let's do it. All right, the political spirit. This is the last one. So the king was deeply grieved. This is, this is Herod. He was deeply grieved. He was sad. In his heart, he was sad. Yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests. I'm going to highlight that. His oaths, that's what he told her he would do but also for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. Okay, that's an interesting point. We'll come back to that. Immediately, the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. That's the end of the story. That's a rough story. Um, Herod was the king of his domain in the natural. He got there not through God's favor and good open opportunities. He got there by being empowered by a spirit that was political. The things that would cause division within the body of Christ, cause division within humanity, are always, always, coming from a place, an origin of demonic and enemy territory. The thing that says you are other than me because we don't look the same. Is that a God thing? No. That is not. You are other than me because I have more money or you have more money. Is that a God thing? No, it is not. Division within humanity where we are divided against one another the origin of that division is always contrary to the, to the kingdom of the Lord. Always. And you say, well, there's good and evil. They're always at odds. Yes, those are at odds. But those opposites are not what God intended in his creation of humans. Humans are supposed to be brothers and sisters working together, living together, thriving together celebrating the goodness of God and expanding his kingdom on earth. There's, it's so common for us to find ourselves at, at divisive points, not just in our thinking, but in our living and our doing. There's opportunities everywhere we turn. It is the nature of 
the enemy of God, to create opportunities for you to establish mindsets and thoughts that cause you to be against other people. In a spirit of either justified, I'm against that person, and it's just how I feel, how I believe, or in a spirit of what they're saying and what they're doing causes me to hate and, and reject them as people. Herod was subject to this in that he was motivated beyond his conviction because he was afraid of his guests and what they would think. That little line is, a, is probably the most powerful line in this whole story. It says, the king was deeply grieved. So that means he had a motive that he wanted to do something. But he couldn't because of his regard. So that's his concern for his oaths and for the guests. Why do the guests matter? The guests matter because he did not want to, to seem weak. He wanted to stay in charge. He wanted them to see him as a leader who was worthy of leading them. He wanted to maintain power and authority and control over the kingdom that he had been given charge of. You say, well, this is kind of an extreme story. How is it relevant? I just, I want you to understand what we as humans are up against. We're up against a spirit, and it's really strong in Berkeley. It's very strong in our nation, and it's really something that affects everyone in the world. It's political. The idea that gaining authority, gaining privilege, gaining respect in culture and society is of a value that has the ability to transcend gaining authority, respect, value within the kingdom of God. You say, well, if, if you are celebrated by other people, if they come around you and, and honor you because of your ideas and your ways, doesn't that mean that you, you have the favor of God? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. At times in our history of Christianity, we've seen that those who have come in alignment with God, they're the first that are persecuted, the first that are attacked, they're the first that are exiled. And so for God and his economy and what he cares about, it's never about you ascending to a place where you have the reverence and respect of all the people you're around. That's not a value. It's not eternal. It's temporary. Now, there are seasons and there are, there are environments where there is agreement with God's values and God's kingdom. And yes, it's wonderful to be celebrated, and those are, the, those are good alliances, if you will. But there's alliances that cause people to make choices and, and go places and do things with themselves, their lives, and the lives of others that are so contrary to the intention of God for humanity. And I want you to know it's not just the, the enemies of us that I'm talking about, it's us. You guys recall the, the Crusades, that era, where they, they came in and, and killed everybody to take over the land in the name of Jesus, like in the name of the advancement of the kingdom? You guys recall like the history of America where we come in and we evangelize through missions but we enslave the indigenous people? Like, do you, do, you, do you see that the possibility for corruption and compromise even within like the, the garb of Christianity or the garb of alignment with the kingdom is possible for all of us when the carrot of authority 
power, prestige, maybe wealth is dangled. It's really interesting as you, as you consider like colonialism in America, it's a huge part of what I spent a lot of time on in school. It's really interesting because so much of that motive was, was about the promise of you'll have expansive wealth. You will, you'll get to take the things and keep the things and govern the things that you discover. And, and so the motive and the rush towards a lot of the expansion into the West was, was that. But in the meantime, there's all these people there. All these people there. And so in the name of the gospel, in the name of a lot of things, there was so much confusion, if you look back in history, where how, how are these people motivated? And I think for us, we can sometimes err on the side of this simplistic, um, well, they brought the gospel, so it must have been good enough. And I just want to caution you, the gospel is, is everything, but if it's in conjunction with a Herod-like spirit, that is separating that true conviction from the actions. What, what is gained in the end? And I want you to know, like, you are responsible for your kingdom. You are kings and queens. God is, he has designed you to reign with authority over the different environments that he has caused you to, to go into. So you each have friend groups, you have family, you eventually have careers. You have places where you have authority. I'm looking at Daniel. He has classrooms. We have, we have people doing different things where you have influence over, over a lot. And you have choices to make all the time. And those choices will always expose your heart in different ways. And I just I want to caution us as we are engaging like with, with the news. We're engaging with the different challenges of our moment just seasonally where you're at in your life. Call yourself high in moral. Call yourself high in action. Challenge your own motivation in your own engine. Unhinge corruption from you at every opportunity. Any evidence that's in you that shows up that says, oh, that's a weird, gosh, why am I drawn to that thing? Why do I repeat that behavior? Why is fear always here? Why am I compromise when I'm with these certain people, I just challenge you to challenge your choices. Challenge your choices because you are worth investment. God is so eager to put more and more of his kingdom within you so that you can carry his kingdom to more and more places. But we, like Herod, we, like humans, have opportunities over and over to make hard decisions, to say, no, I won't marry my brother's wife. That's not a hard decision. <laughs> That's not a hard decision. That's an easy decision. But you have harder decisions. You have God prompting you down a certain path that maybe isn't a financially kingdom building in the natural, like Herod's kingdom path. And you're, you're, you're torn because you're drawn by certain engines. Maybe you have alignment relationally with people because there's, there's a physical kingdom where they feed a physical need and they affirm and they do for you something that, that maybe just you feel needs to be done. But God is saying, don't align yourself. It's, an, it's, it's unholy because I say it's unholy. I'm drawing you by my spirit away from that choice, that path, because I want you to be on a holy path and you don't understand why you're leaning into this. You remember Herod was perplexed? He was confused 
when faced with the truth. That's how we get. We'll have the Holy Spirit come alongside us and he'll say, hey, I'd rather you not do that thing. It's never, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks for reminding me. He won't be there to remind you if you don't need reminding. He's there to clarify your path, to bring light, to shed light and say, this is good. What you're thinking and where you're going is, is not. And you say, well, I need more explanation. And he says, no, no, just obey. And the truth is, is there's an there's a engine that's pulling you in a direction that's contrary to God's purpose and his intention. And it's small, and maybe it feels inconsequential, and you're constantly at odds with the spirit that's pulling you away from things, and you don't know why. It's because he knows what's behind those things, and he wants you to walk with him in purity and clarity. And he wants you to never be caught up in Jewish soap operas. He wants you to be pure and clean. And I just, I want you to have grace and mercy in your heart, one for yourself, so that you can understand, yes, you've failed, I've failed, we've all failed, but there is, there is a constant sea to the Holy Spirit who comes beside me to help me towards the greater outcomes in life. That's one. If you can be kind to yourself, then truthfully you can be kind to others. If you can't be kind to yourself, you have no hope of really truly loving and being kind to others because behind your motivation will be this inner turmoil of I'm not okay, so I don't really care if they're okay. <laughs> and you really need to know like God loves you. He's proud of you and he, he, wants, he will keep coming back, but he is gonna keep you on the, on the path that will lead to the best outcomes. The second thing I want you to think about is I, I, need, I need over and over and over to remind myself that Jesus loves people. He's not political. Our church is not Republican. It's not Democratic. Our church is not interested in picking a side to align over topics and divide people. There's obviously issues on every side in our country. There's obviously political and geopolitical issues throughout our whole world that really matter to God. He cares a lot about these topics and these people. And you, you should care where you feel compelled to care. But at the core, at the foundation of that care is how do I feel about the people caught in this question? If you can disassociate the people from the question you are sliding into a position of political. And you're sliding into an agreement with the political spirit that says, at the expense of humans, I can be right, my position can be right, maybe my kingdom can grow, and those who are with me can grow with me. And I just want to caution you, it's, it's not the way of the Lord to cause violence one towards another. Peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Of course, there's history of war. Of course, there's justification for war and boundaries. Personal, interpersonal, national, international. There's, there's a lot of complexity to all of that. But as you lean into these topics, as you consider the complication of it all, your endeavor is to value the people above all. In agreement with the Lord, we value the people and we pray and we ask God for his perspective 
on how we should pray for these things. Please don't pray, excuse me, innocent or uh, juvenile prayers where you see an outcome because you've watched it in a certain way and you say, this must be the, the end result that God's after. We're so disconnected from people at times. That's how we justify disregarding certain groups of humanity for generations because we're flying and we're motivated by engines that push us into further advancement even at the expense of the other ones who are maybe the fuel for the advancement of this thing and their lives are compromised forever as a result of us continuing along those, those I'll call them highways of thought, highways of life. So, so carry yourself in a way that's, that's circumspect, quiet, reserved, consider with your mind, but most often, more importantly, consider with your spirit, am I aligned or am I reactionary? Is it Herodias whispering in my ear because she has something to gain, she has some motivation, or is this truly me standing with the Spirit of God? And I have, I have value for people regardless of where, I, where these topics take us. Then you'll be manifesting the kingdom. Then you'll be carrying something that's different and other. Please don't be too simple. Be higher in your engagement. Does that make sense on some level? It's very hard, guys. It's very complicated. And, and you should have passion. These are hard issues, and they're very aggressive things. We faced them for just even the last couple years in our culture. We have a lot of changes that are so strong and so, so impactful. We don't compromise on our values and our morals and what's right and wrong. That's not what I'm talking about at all. And I, and I, I would never advise you to say, well, it's okay if you feel a certain way, if that way is obviously contrary to the Bible. That's not what this is about. It's about, hey, I, I see that we totally disagree I really stand firmly in my, my belief, but I love you. I love you. We're not going to get together on this topic, it seems. But man, I, I really care about you, and I'm sorry this hurts you in that way. You're, they're a human that has these engines that are going, either this year or for the last 200 years. You don't know. You don't know the story. And so it's, it's being kind, being, being careful, being clear. And the most, most powerful way to clarity is coming always to the Lord first before you leap out. Because what comes out of this mouth, even if it's, if it's quick, as you begin to state things, as you begin to like identify and declare these things as true, your body and your mind, it follows. It follows. And you become like Herod. <gasps> I said that. Now I have to stand by what I said. And you almost become in a, in a pride conversation where it's like, oh, I can't go back now. And it happens so, so fast. So, so fast. And our instincts are so rarely, like, purely for people because we're, we got a lot of things pulling at us. So I just caution you guys, watch, watch this thing. It can be wonderful and powerful. It can also be really destructive and, and painful. And so as we navigate our environment, um, there's going to be a lot of people that are really impassioned and, and, and lit up towards their, their uh, intentions. Just you carry love. You care for the individual. You carry the ability to speak on behalf of the Lord if you're clear. And so I want that for you guys. I want you as you approach this next season of topics, not to be caught in the divisive nature of those topics, 
but to always carry the Spirit of God so that you can find the individual behind the topic. Okay? All right. Don't marry your daughter. Don't name, don't marry your daughter. Don't name your daughter Herodias. And then don't, don't, yeah, don't, don't do weird stuff like marrying people who are already married. It gets really complicated, I hear. Um, I'm proud of you guys. These are, these are challenging times, but it's not new, right? The same weird stuff, the same violence has been happening for thousands of years. The corruption and all the dysfunction that comes with it. You're standing on a, a righteous, holy mountain. You can see for miles if you stay up on top of it. Don't charge down the mountain to engage in the fray. Stand with the Lord, and he'll give you a lot of insight and authority to deal with it. Let me pray for you guys. Father, I just I thank you for um, making us wonderfully. I thank you for the complexity of the human condition. I thank you that you are so far above and that the political spirit is so far below the beauty and majesty of our creator, God, the King. And so, Lord, we just agree today that we will do everything in our power to align ourselves with you, to stand with you in agreement for peace, for grace, for mercy, for your kingdom to reign and your kingdom to be established on earth, for all men to benefit, all women to benefit, so that your, your reign and your goodness can be on display forever. And so, Lord, we pray for peace we pray for mercy, and we ask, God, that you would give us wisdom as we navigate these topics, and we endeavor to represent you on earth. Great grace, great alignment with your spirit, and we just invite greater volume from you in our life. We thank you for your mercy in our own life. We thank you for your covering of us over and over and over again. And I just pray for each one in this room. I pray for peace. I pray for peace regardless of what's going on in our culture. I pray for peace regardless of what's gone on around them or what's even happened before this day. God, we leave our past in your hands and we leave these great issues of our day in your hands. And we say we worship the king, we trust the king to guard over us, to lead us into good things. And we celebrate your great fathering of us, your children. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.